Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is Melissa Monte. She's one of today's influential and thought-provoking explorers of the mindset and positive energy. She's known for her ability to dive into complex ideas with humor and clarity in a way that deeply connects with people. Melissa has lived through what some would call extreme life experiences, suffering multiple traumas in a short period of time, including rape, loss of a friend to suicide, and apparent to lymphoma, an eating disorder, and even landing in jail for someone else's crime. On her popular heartfelt podcast, Mind Love, she discusses mindset shifts and modern mindfulness through raw stories, personal experience, and inspiring interviews. Melissa, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to Melissa. be on the Thought Hackers. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, we'll hopefully fun. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. And I, I think the best way to begin is just to ask you if you could give us a bit of a, a bird's eye overview of of your your situation and and we'll see where it goes from there. Sure, I'd love to. I was raised by a great family. My parents divorced when I was very very young, but I I ended up with a really amazing stepfather. So, I had a very positive upbringing and a pretty charmed life until about the age of 15 when my first trauma hit. And then over the next few years, it was just one after the other. So I was raped a few years later. As you mentioned, I lost a close friend to suicide. He hung himself. I then found out that my father had lymphoma and within a year he died as well. And so really I was ill-equipped to deal with that kind of trauma or really pain in general, to be honest with you. So I spent a lot of years just searching and pretending or possibly really believing that everything was all right, but it was manifesting in different ways in my life. And it was hard for me to see the correlation between what my actions were and just the rabbit hole of bad decisions I was going down. And and it's just kind of difficult to not not connect those things. So I've been taking what I've been learning and and especially in the last probably 7 years or so I've just been on an an upward upward trend for the first time in a long time uh, and uh I'm known as the person who can kind of speak about anything because I've I've lived through so much and so I'm very good at at helping other people through similar situations. Mm. And part of the reason is because I realized that my own journey to healing really sped up when I did help other people through it. So because of my situations, I ended up volunteering at the Rape Crisis Center. I also volunteered at the Suicide and Crisis Prevention Hotline. And um, and yeah, now I have a podcast where I, I talk, to, talk to other people about their own experiences and kind of just shed light on different ways of looking at things and, and different ways to handle 
handle such life experiences that, so that people aren't left feeling without the tools like I was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm going yeah, like to I'm going to I'm going to you... take you I'm going to start this one Nathan. I'm going to take Melissa. I just want to take her back to the rabbit hole. What was happening when you were down in that rabbit hole? You know, how far were you down there? What was going on before you hit that turning point of this is enough or whatever it was? What was the turning point when you were down there? It's interesting when I look back and try to find the turning point because I can name a few. And what I think they were is little light bulbs, little light bulbs that that go off. And and so I would think I was on an upward trend and it really wouldn't be happening. And or I would fall back down very easily. So I needed a bunch of those moments. And so what happened was, once I got into college, I had found out that my father was dying the very first year. I was already a little bit in the rabbit hole. After after I was raped, I kind of lost my feeling of, of self-worth. Mm. And I didn't understand my own boundaries. And to be honest, I think I was actually trying to wipe out that experience or that memory with something more extreme in certain ways. So I, w- I was just, I wasn't valuing my body. Then when I found out my dad was dying, I think I just felt as though I lost control. And at the time, I, I, I developed a very heavy case of bulimia. It was It was a dangerous case of bulimia that lasted for eight long years. And at the time, I thought, that it had nothing to do with any of my traumas. It started out as something I had overheard a sorority girl say, something about throwing up their food. And and I remember trying it and being like, this is difficult. How, how do people <laughs> do this? And then yep. it was only a few months before it just completely took over my life. So it started as just like something I thought would be sporadic, but it, it was all consuming. I remember sitting in my room one day, really believing I could never actually be with anybody because I couldn't tell them it was a humiliating thing. And I also had no idea how I was going to stop. I really couldn't imagine a future where I would be able to stop. In my mind, I I was thinking that maybe if I did... If I did stop, then I was going to lose my figure or something like that. And it's all so trivial now, these these little things that we believe and the, the things that we place worth on. But I wasn't placing worth on the right parts of my life. So it took, uh, I remember the very first book that lit up my mind and it, it taught me basically that you could be in control of your happiness. It was called The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. And that book was a little shimmer, but I was still kind of going down a rabbit hole of bad decisions. I ended up in an awful relationship. Part of what you said in the beginning was I ended up in jail for somebody else's crime. That was him. I, it was still just not realizing my own self-worth. But I think the biggest catalyst was when I, I started doing yoga and I loved it. It just felt totally different and I was surrounded by different people and I was very used to just kind of diving into different groups and a lot of the times those were groups of people that were partying because I could just be over there for several days at a time and not have to deal with my own loneliness or Mm -hmm. not have to be alone to hear the voices in my head 
And so this was the first time I was really surrounded by a group of, of really good people that had other things on their mind than just drowning their pain. And from there, there was still a lot more steps I needed to take. It wasn't a, a quick fix, but that was where that was where the progress really started. Well, you were saying uh, that you were addicted to pills for 10 years, so you went through bulimia, then, then you wound up with a pill addiction at that point? Yeah, and a lot of people think of like oxy when they think of a pill addiction, but mm-hmm. I, I was taking a very high dosage of Adderall, so it's almost like legal speed. And what, part what of it, what is that exactly? It's for ADHD, and so oh. when I grew, when I was growing up, I or ADD, also when I was growing up, people always joked that I had ADD. There were certain things, but but I people with ADD actually hyper-focus on the things that they're interested in. And so now it's debatable whether or not I actually have ADD. (laughs) Sometimes it seems very apparent, but um, I was also, I loved learning. So I would hyper-focus on learning. And I'm, I'm like that to this day. So it was never a huge problem in school. And when I was in college, I was able to just go to the student center and disabled student services request Adderall, they did a little pre-screening. I knew what questions they were going to ask me. So Mm. I answered correctly. A lot of them sounded kind of in line. It was getting more and more difficult to focus as it was. And that could have been because of all that I was dealing with. But I got prescribed Adderall and then I kept upping the dose, upping the dose. And people would find out that I was on 40 or 50 milligrams a day. And that's a lot for a girl that's 105 pounds. So I I took that for a long time. And the problem was not even just so much that it is a very addictive substance. There's, and there's a long weaning off period. It, it takes about a month and a half. I feel like to feel normal after taking that much and getting off of it. But I also had a lot of fear because I had just huge body dysmorphia. And so Adderall is known to suppress your appetite and I did drop about 10 pounds when I got on Adderall. So I think college I had gained a few pounds and then I dropped it all once Adderall started. So just a lot of things were really wrapped up in what I thought it was going to do to my body if I started eating normal meals and keeping it down and stopped taking this addictive substance. And and I was making a lot of excuses, I guess. That seems to be normal when you're dealing with something like this. You mentioned the word dysmorphia. I've I've not heard that word. Can you elaborate? You know, I would look in the mirror and just see something different than everybody else would see. And it's something that I still struggle with to this day, but it's getting better and better. I almost have to have to say cheesy affirmations when I look in the mirror just to retrain my brain. But um yeah, I would I would look in the mirror and I could be I remember one time I was at my lowest weight and it was about 102 pounds. Actually at this time it was 98 pounds and I wow. remember thinking just three more, just three more. If I could get to 95 pounds that would be great. <laughs> and uh yeah, it 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 wasn't healthy and mm-hmm. it's not and, and it, it's part of the reason that I get I get very passionate when you know, I just heard CVS is finally not photoshopping their product images and they'll they'll let you know if they do, things like that. 
people don't realize how big of an effect that has on people. When you look in a magazine and you're like, well, yeah, I know I'm thinner than everybody around me, but I'm not as thin as them. <laughs> and so you just mm. go have this thought of perfection. And yeah, it, it led a lot of the things that I did. And I think it was just my escape route, my focus, because there was all these other things kind of festering that I insisted were not affecting me. So what was the, the turning point that that allowed you to really start making the major changes that you needed to make in order to start regaining your health? When I was in yoga teacher training, there's a lot of spirituality that goes with that. And I was my spiritual journey has been pretty interesting because I was raised very Christian and in high school I fell away from the church a lot. And part of it was because of their views on homosexuality, but the biggest part was that after I was raped, somebody at the church found out, told my choir pastor, choir slash youth pastor, and I was blamed for my own rape. And so they took away my solos and, and things like that. And so I remember we were on tour with choir and I was actually on a boat in Canada and I called my mom crying telling her I wanted to fly back home so I had a lot of negative connotations with church and the word God and so for me God was just church it wasn't anything really outside of that I had been raised so deeply to believe that oh other religions are blasphemy and and things like that so um, when I started to kind of look at these other ways of looking at things and discovering more about Buddhist philosophies and a more kind of general empowering view of spirituality, then things things really started to shift for me. And so I, I like to dive all in. So I was going to like sound baths and things like that and being surrounded by close friends and, you know, still still partying pretty heavily for a while. But I was slowly regaining my happiness, slowly discovering my worth. And I read a lot. That last year alone, I read about 47 books. <laughs> I've read hundreds wow. in the last few years. Good. And so I, I, take, I take a lot of that into heart and kind of see the little sparks and understanding that, okay, well, all of these religions are really searching for the same thing. It's just a different story to tell so that different people can kind of relate to it. Different stories um, connect with different people. And so when I started to find the general spirituality and discover the divinity within myself, it was just very empowering. And interestingly enough, I, well, one, one book that really, really helped me was the bulimia help method. But I, was, I had ended up healing taking a lot of healing steps before discovering that book and then that kind of sealed the deal for me but looking back it was it was really my happiness and my worth that if I had if I had discovered those same things years before it wouldn't have had the same effect so I think it was just really slow progress of self-healing and then when I really started to open up about my story was when I I felt completely healed because I think for a long time my I was afraid to open up because I wasn't, I didn't trust myself that I wouldn't fall back into the same old patterns. My mom had found out that I was bulimic about two years into the eight year uh, period. 
And it just felt awful because even if I thought I was taking steps to healing and even if it was a day that I didn't throw up my food, if I'd go to the bathroom, I could feel her watching me. And something about that just takes away, it took away all my progress and it would send me spiraling back down. So the idea of telling people was just not in the cards for me. But now, now that I am sharing my story and, and I've been, I've been healed for about four years, but I, now that I'm sharing my story, now that I've found a supportive partner and really found, found my worth, everything's, everything's just different now. Mm. Yeah. Even though, uh, and it'd be a huge thing, the space that you're at really sharing that story now but one th- one word that you threw in just a little while ago which really got me was the word insistent insisted you know insisting that things weren't affecting you where they clearly were and it was uh, insisting is quite a strong willpower and it was sort of like it wasn't working for you at the time it, it also sounds like um the insisting is another word for denial too could be 100%. <laughs> One thing that ha- that happened recently was I had to go through healing kind of all over again. Yes. So in high school when I was when I was raped, I always knew I was raped at 17. I was raped at 17 is the story that I told. It was it was real and and that was um kind of a more intense. It was definitely rape. I tried to say no. It was sex in a car with somebody I didn't know. And I had only lost my virginity three days before to my boyfriend at the time. So it was Mm. very traumatic. But I told a few people. People told other people. Um, I, I think every time I told people, I was really kind of gauging reactions to figure out how I was supposed to react. Mm. Times were different back then, whether or not we realize it now. It it makes sense. It makes sense. Because... Forgive me if I'm mind reading, but part of the reason I think you were doing that is to gauge whether you could trust them and and whether you could open up even more or if you saw any form of major judgment, you would shut down. Yeah, exactly. And so it was interesting, though, because recently with the whole Me Too movement that's been viral, everyone's talking about, Hmm. I ended up unleashing so many emotions and the reason is is because I didn't even realize that I was raped before, before that first rape. And I was completely, I was in denial about that. And so th- at this moment, I think was the moment that affected me even more. That time it wasn't full intercourse, but it was everything else. And it was the first time I had ever drank. And I basically woke up with not only, not only in a sexual act, but with people around watching and then I threw up on the person and everyone around was like, we have to get out of here. And they left me alone in my own house. My mom was out of town and I was in my vomit and I passed out again. I was, I was gone. And so I, I had told a couple people about that, a few friends. And again, it went around the school and, and um, yeah, I, I'd never realized that that wasn't my fault that, oh, I'm a 15-year-old girl who's never even kissed a guy and I'm, it's the first time drinking. I blamed myself because I was drinking. I shouldn't have drank that much. And so that was a huge eye-opener to me in just how much of I was in denial. Mm. 
Because I think what happened is at that moment, I really didn't value sex. So after that, my first kiss was not romantic. I didn't really care. I was kind of on a, a search to just do things and maybe wipe out wipe out that memory. And I made sure in my head that I fully believed, what are girls so crazy about? Like, it's just sex. Who cares? And I'm saying this before I even had sex. And so then when I was raped the second time, I just thought I could brush it off my shoulders. And that time was violent. And so it was, it was just obvious what it was, but it had to have been that obvious, or I don't think I would have not blamed myself for that also. And so it's really interesting to, to see now the times changing and the, and people becoming more aware of what can happen because unfortunately of my close friends, only one of them has not been raped. And so Wow. More people are dealing with it than than we think or than talk about it. And I only know about it because I've been now open sharing my story and people feel comfortable speaking to me about theirs. Mm. I'm curious about something. When you were talking about the first time of being raped and the lack of memory about it, would you say, would it be fair to say that what you were suffering from is something called amnesia? Possibly. It could have either been that or it could have been that I, I drank too much. But it is interesting to note that um, I, I remember it was peppermint schnapps and I didn't like drinking. So I know I took shots to try to be cool because it was me and one other friend and then like six older guys. She was prom queen and, and things like that. And these guys were older and gorgeous and I was not dating any of them. And so I think I felt some pressure. I did drink a lot, and so it, I was. I assumed I blacked out, but you know, the memories that kind of flashed back in the last years made me understand that I did remember more than I thought I did. I had pushed that whole experience out of my life once. Once it became something that people were talking about and and thinking that I did willingly, I. It was my biggest shameful secret that I just kind of pushed away and I refused to feel that ever again. And in order to do that, I needed to make sure that I believed that none of this really mattered, that these things weren't important or sacred or anything like that anyways. And I think in turn, I really pushed this belief on myself that my body wasn't sacred or worthy or even that my life wasn't really worth anything. So... It, it, it's been a lot of healing recently. It was, I think it's after I reached a certain point in my healing that I was able to go back and, and certain emotions were unleashed, but I don't think I was ready for it, say five years ago. A lot of that took me kind of building up my own worth long enough to be able to look at each situation and the details and, and kind of give, a little nod of forgiveness to both my younger self and my perpetrators. Right. So what, what was the turning point in all of that? I mean, very traumatic for sure. Very difficult. All of the things you're talking about, but was there one or several different turning points that allowed you to really start to move forward and really start to engage with that healing process? I think I had to hit rock bottom and my rock bottom was landing in jail for 
my ex-boyfriend's crime. And at that time, it was just more and more denial. I was dating him for a year before I even realized he was addicted to meth and robbing houses. And I was in the car with him when he was arrested. And so I was arrested, booked for receiving stolen property, I believe. And my mom at that time worked at a church and my stepdad was a retired police officer. So the idea of calling them and telling them what had happened with this guy that they already hated was just off limits to me. And so I sat in jail for about a week, just kind of adapting to life there like I always do. And and I had a lot to think about. But then the next two years was me going to court dates to deal with this this person and to try to clear my name. And what ended up happening was that I had a really bad lawyer. I was trying to do everything myself and he had a really good one. And so at the end of, right before we were arrested, I flew to Hawaii and stayed with a friend for a little over a month to try to get away from him because things were just getting really bad. He was very manipulative. He was a sociopath. He damaged a lot of my belongings. And I just, I didn't have enough power and within myself to just walk away on my own and say, no, I'm too good for you. I had to get away. So I did. When I came back, he was begging and saying that he got money to get his business back up off the ground and things like that. So then I agreed to go to lunch with him. And, you know, if this didn't happen, I probably would have started dating him again. I just wasn't that strong of a person at this point. And so I I had a lot to, I had, I learned a lot about the last few years through those court dates. First of all, he went to rehab. And so part of his thing was to kind of unleash the truth about everything that he had done. I found out all the details about how he was robbing these houses. And, and at the end of it though, I kind of felt bad for him. I, I saw him as a broken person and I, I could see myself in him because I was a broken person and his dad had just died. And there was just a lot of reasons for me to make excuses for him. So when it came down to after two years of the court date being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, his, my lawyer didn't show up to the court date. His lawyer did. And they sat me down and I'm with him and his sweet little mom and their attorney. And they're just saying to me, well, if we take it to trial, my name would get cleared for sure because I was in Hawaii during the during the points that had eyewitnesses mm. uh, during the 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 actual dates they were trying to get me for. I was in Hawaii, so it was going to be very easy to clear. But if I did that, then I needed to. Um, he it was guaranteed that he was going to go to jail for a minimum of ten years, and I couldn't. I felt at the time I couldn't do that to somebody, so I I took a felony for him. Oh, wow. And so a lot of, and unfortunately, I I then again moved away. I moved to LA to get away from him. He followed me and moved into a halfway house right next, like one block away. Ended up even throwing a brick through my windshield. And one time he even uh, broke my house window and climbed in. And, and I was curled up on a couch because he had been doing some kind of scary things before that and my friend was over she was in my bed so I fell asleep on the couch downstairs and he 
walked up the stairs and kissed her on the forehead and like left a gift for her or something like that. So I was just dealing with things like this all the time, just terrified. And then I moved again, finally got away from him again. He found me again. And uh, soon after that, he was arrested. I guess he kept robbing houses. So to this day, he's still in jail. But um, it was that felony, even though a lot of people might ask, first of all, like, oh, that's something that... You know, you might never make that decision if it were happening right now. If it was somebody that I loved, I probably still would. But I I have higher regards of what I think of as love now, which is great. But the thing I have to really be thankful about that felony is that that was my huge wake-up call. First of all, I had never had a problem getting jobs before that. But the idea of going and applying for a job that I felt I was worth because I had had some good jobs in the past uh, and, and having to explain my record, I, it was too humiliating for me. So at that point I knew that I had to try harder. So I started going to a lot of business seminars and teaching myself internet marketing and, and all of that ended up going to a conference and winning a contest for best internet marketing trick and then it, it set me up for the next few years of freelancing. Nice. I've learned a lot since then and, and ever since I've been offered jobs. And now I'm starting my own thing. And thankfully, because my charge was a much smaller charge, it can get expunged after three years. And it's been um, eight years. So it's in my past. But I I also know my personality well enough to know that I needed to hit that rock bottom before I had to change, you know? Yes. Makes sense. Hamish, uh, what are your thoughts? What a great, great story. I mean, and yeah, it is very much so. um, um, But actually, you you had to hit your rock bottom, but actually recognizing the rock bottom is, um, something uh, significant also so many people just it just keeps going where is that rock bottom that's um i tell us about now you're you're working you're doing the podcasting you've set up and it's a very uh it's 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 a mindset thing it's a positive thing it's tell us about the journey into that now then and i mean you obviously you turned that point from um we, I suppose you stopped insisting that things were going on and you created this very positive way of thinking and uh, taking that out to others. Tell us about the work you're doing with that in the podcast. Yeah, of course. Well, I, in the last five years or so, I've been just making, even, even when I was still suffering with bulimia, I was changing my beliefs. And so I've been helping friends and family and whoever needs my help through things for a while now. And so I've been trying to figure out really what I wanted to branch off and create on my own. I've had a lot of jobs with startups and, and, uh, and a lot of really cool opportunities, uh, even as vice president of a, a start- startup. But I knew that I wanted to do something meaningful. So my whole life, my mom keeps telling me, you need to write a book, but... <laughs> As you guys have kind of learned in the last half hour, my story isn't, it doesn't feel linear and it didn't really have an end. Mm. Each section is its own 
it's its own story. And it's like, okay, well, then that happened. That sounds crazy. Like, what's wrong with you? And so I had no idea how a book would come about, but I knew I had all these little tidbits to share. And so I ended up reading a book by Pat Flynn called Will It Fly to help kind of get a business idea. And since then, I have... I started a travel blog for a while. I was trying to do little affiliate marketing websites and each one would take off pretty quickly. But when it came down to sustaining it, I knew that it wasn't right. I just, I'm like, no, wrong thing. Got to end it. And so finally I was like, I need some, some guidance here. And so I read this book and one of the, one of the, action items that they had me do was to send a letter to all of my to as many close friends or family members, people that know me from different areas in my life and ask them what my superpower is. And so I sent out about 11 letters and got back some really awesome things. But one thing that they all said, most of them said something about how I'm great at organizing and explaining complex ideas and kind of explaining it to other people. But the other thing was just about my determination and inspiration and constantly learning. And so finally I was like, okay, that that's what it is. It's, it's that, you know, it's the searching. And so before I was, I kept searching for the one thing that I needed to go with when I really, it took me a while to realize that it's all of those things. It's everything about just being your highest self, being the best person that you can be and knowing that obstacles are going to hit you. Even if you are on your right path, bad things are still going to happen. And so just to give myself the tools to handle that or to give other people tools if if there's specific things that they're struggling with. And so now it's after the very first episode, I knew it was exactly what I should be doing. It just gives me such a fire inside talking to different people, listening to the wisdom that other people have gained from their lives. Just these little tidbits that, that get us through the day. And it's funny because I had heard somebody once say something about the Fitbit and how like they said to their mom, "Oh, why are you getting the Fitbit that it everyone it's proven that people stop using that thing after 3 months or something <laughs> like that." The, you know, the little workout tracker. Yep. And the mom said, "Well, after 3 months then I'll find something new, but if I know that this is going to work for 3 months, that's all I need right now." And I think that's very true about kind of how humans deal with things. You know, you you get all excited about this new thing. You read a book and you're like, oh my gosh, this is everything that I've needed. But then after three months, it kind of loses the fire. You need something else. And so while I do think that you should stop and, and revisit those things and, and put up little reminders for yourself, it's okay to need the regular the, the regular tips or a different way to look at something from one month to the next. It's very true for me, especially with my possibly ADD mind. <laughs> that's still debatable. But um, yeah, so, so that's what I'm trying to do with Mind Love. And additionally, the other thing that kind of makes it unique is my podcast is different than a lot of others because I kind of package it up into these little 30 to 40 minute segments and I, I add immersive sound design and and uh, make it really, make you just feel like you're there in the story with people. Yeah. And I realized that I do that because when my dad died, he didn't, he didn't really leave me anything. In his hospital bed, there was a notebook that just said, dear God, 
And when I found it, at first I was excited until I opened it up and realized there were only two words. But <laughs> when I, but uh, on one hand, it seemed very fitting, like it was almost like a cry for help because he didn't want to die. But on the other hand, I thought, what about dear Melissa? You have nothing to say, <laughs> you know, you don't. And so I think part of me is really excited to just kind of package something up to leave a legacy, you know, like these are the things that I was exploring. And so if anything ever did happen to me, then I've got this, I've got this thing out there that might help people just in an evergreen way that can always be listened to again when people need it. Yeah. Works by me. Yeah. You Hamish? Yep. Absolutely. It's, um, I'll yeah. be look, looking forward to uh, having a listen to your podcast. It's, uh, and speaking of that, um, how would people find you? They can find me at mindlove.com and or just search for the Mind Love podcast in any of your favorite podcast apps, including Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Very nice. Excellent. Thanks for being with us. A, Thank you a, for a sharing your story. A wonderful story. Wonderful. I mean, look, a wonderful journey. I mean, you've been through a lot, but look at where you are now, the lessons, the learnings, the, the, the person you are now because of all that um and still going i mean your 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 journey with where you're still heading and doing the podcasting and 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 taking new things to people uh, you're equally going to be taking new stuff to yourself and uh, it's um well done it's a fantastic story to hear thank you Thank you so much. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day this journey will have a conclusion, but <laughs> but until then, <laughs> it's just one episode at a time. Yeah, it's, uh, that works. Fantastic. And look, welcome. You know, love to have you back sometime and you know, see see what direction. Like you, you said, you cannot sit and write a, a a single book because of the direction you've been going in. Uh, we'd love to have you back sometime and see where you are. Yeah. Bit further down That'd the track. Be great. I would love so, to. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know if I get in any more trouble in the future, <laughs> but I'm hoping that it's all uphill from here. <laughs> if, if we get a phone call from you being in jail somewhere, then we'll know what's what's going on. Yeah, you I, guys are in my contacts. You might be bailing me out. <laughs> one never knows. Your journey is quite different now. It's very focused. It's very positive. Um, I think it's a very different story coming up ahead. It's, uh, I look forward to seeing it. And should it, you know, when will it end? It, it, it'll never end. It's going to be, uh, you know, have fun with it. Great. Thank you so much. So, thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having you on the show. So for those of you who have been listening, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Beeston out of Australia. We are the Thought Hackers. And with us today has been Melissa Monte. So thanks for listening to us, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Thought Hackers. And regardless of where you are on your journey, whether you would like to be a guest and share your story, or if you are still living with pain each day, please get in touch and we will help you where we can. Simply send an email to hamish at thethoughthackers.com.